Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. Okay, what I want to talk about today is the power and importance of realizing that you are needed, that we are needed. You know, it's, when's the last time someone told you that you're, <laughs> you know, I need you, or you're needed, or you're valuable? Um, I mean, I think we have it occur to us, and, and I'll cover some of the ways that this actually happens, but it is important to realize that you are a needed individual, that people need you, that we need each other, and that, uh, that you are needed. I think one of the... This may not be so obvious, but it is true that we realize that we are needed, is the workplace. Six days shall you labor. And, you know, the workplace is an area where someone comes along and says, look, I need you to do this. I need you to go there. I need you to write this. I, need, I expect you to do these things. And, and without even realizing it, we are being valued. We are t being told, look, you are a needed person. Even though we may hate our job. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we complain about that and we look at all the negative things, but the psychological benefit of a job is that it says to us, you are a needed individual. You are important. That's why I think, you know, some people, when they retire, you know, you, you hear about a person retiring and then a few, few months later, they're dead. You know, it, maybe it has to do with, you know, they no longer feel needed as an individual. I mean, it's a, it's a critical aspect here. Um, so, you know, if a person is feeling down, out, uh, not needed, what is my purpose in life? Well, in some cases, it just you just need to be involved in an area of, of support, a teamwork of individuals, a, you know, a job where you're constantly... Uh, being fed the understanding that you are important and that you are needed as an individual. A job is like a support team, really, where we work for one another and, and depend on one another. We need you here. Another area of, of, okay, you are needed, is marriage. Marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh, so then they that are no more uh, one, but uh, two, but one flesh. And I think Christ could have just as easily went on to say that the purpose of marriage is to meet each other's needs. <laughs> I, you know, there are things that I cannot do that my wife can do, you know, and, and vice versa. I mean, we are... It's a teamwork. It's sort of like a job also, you know, where each person is fulfilling their part. Again, their job, teamwork. I depend on her. She depends on me. It would really be bad. You know, sometimes I think, what would happen if something happened to Teresa? What would I do? You know, I know the house would be a mess. <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure I could feed myself or not. <laughs> you think, okay, on the other side of the, the, the coin there, there are things that I can do that I, that I know she cannot do. I mean, when it comes to mechanical work and, and figuring things out around the house, 
it, it would probably be very di uh, difficult for her. But uh, and in, and in a subtle way, we are saying, look, I need you. We need each other. The body of Christ is another area where we are needed. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 14. I'll read through this. It says, For the body is not one member, but many. But if the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? This is 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 16 now. And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the ear, I am not part of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would the smelling? But now has God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it has pleased him. Now notice that. God places these members, you and me, in the, in the body of Christ, as it pleases him. Uh, and if there were all one member, where would the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which, which we think be less honorable, upon those we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need, but has tempered the body, uh, the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which is lacking. That there should be no schism in the body. Now you ask, why has God put it together this way, this body, the body of Christ? Well, it says that there be no division, no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And wherefore, one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Very powerful statement, very true statement. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. So, you know, the hands, the feet, the eyes, the hearing. You wake up every day and you realize, look, I need my body. I need it to work, first of all. I, uh, <laughs> I, we were doing, me and Teresa were doing some, I had her helping me. She was my helper. Uh, helped me doing electrical work back here at the church. And, uh, you know, I was taking, a, it, it was a, a blind area where I couldn't see, but I was just depending on my hand to feel what I was doing back there. And I said, isn't the hand an amazing thing? Because it had nothing to do with my vision of seeing it. It was just feeling the threads go on to one another. And I, I said, you know, you couldn't make a device that could do, you couldn't duplicate what the hand can do. It's, it's, just, it's just a miracle. It really is. So the church, like a job, like a marriage, we need each other. It's teamwork. And uh, it goes on now to explain this, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, and that, uh, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, government, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles. No, it's a, it's a body where we're working together. And you think about, okay, what is the purpose in all of this? Well, God has a need also. God needs the work of the church. He needs us to do our part. You know, do the work. Uh, you know, go ye therefore into all the world. Make disciples. 
So we consider this, okay, God has a need for us to do the work. The work of evangelism, the work of ministry, whatever the work may be that, that God has given you. So not only do we come here to serve one another, we come here to serve God and to find out what does God want us to do. Another important thing, I think I already mentioned it one time, but, but in the church, you know, we hold each other accountable. If someone comes into the church with a crazy doctrine, you know, we can say, hey, that, I don't think that's really in the Bible. And uh, a lot of times you can have that with people who are just out there and they think, okay, I don't need a church. I don't need, I, I, I'm my own church. And they value their own opinion too much and they don't have a fellowship group to hold each other accountable. And often people lacking a church will, they'll really go off the deep end because they're, they're thinking, okay, God, God's given this to me. It's got to be from God. It's my idea, baby. And this is straight from the word, of, you know, and they go off the deep end. They go off the deep end. Um, so, okay, not only do we come here to serve one another, we come here to serve God. Do you realize how much you are needed? You know, I've found that sometimes we're down and out and we're extremely hard on ourselves. And sometimes all of that can come about is because we don't realize how much we are needed. You know, for many years, the demands of life put so much on us that we don't even think about the possibility of not being needed. I think in my earlier years as a teenager, you know, I had, I didn't have a lot of responsibilities. I had a job. My greatest care, it seemed, was to clean my car and make sure it had gas in it, you know, and, and of course, I was, I was dating Teresa back then, and, and, and that was it. I mean, it was really a simplistic time. You know, your greatest, <laughs> wash your car. <laughs> Boy, the good old days back then, I'm going to tell you. I wish I could go back to that simplistic life. I mean, it was just, you know, I didn't have a lot of cares, and the cares I had were simplistic. Um, And of course, I was blessed to come from a good, 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 home, good home, good family environment. I was very blessed in that area. But I want you to consider the man who reaches retirement age, and maybe he's given the, whatever, what do they give you, a gold watch or something? <laughs> they give you something. I'm not sure what. But uh, his children have all left home many years ago, and maybe his wife has passed away. And this demon of fear that really comes from the false notion, I am no longer needed anymore. It's, 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 it's troubling. Or, or maybe the handicapped person who feels, you know, I, I may not be needed because I have certain restrictions of things I can't do. And I am not that valuable and I'm not that needed. It's, uh, it's really a powerful thing that we need to be told how much we are needed. And, now get this, I fit into this category. If your ability to be needed depends on your productivity, that can be a real problem, because that's me. How much I'm needed really depends on how much I get done, or, or all the things I can produce. I can produce, therefore I am needed, is how I sort of read myself sometimes. And, uh, and they're, they're, okay, there's rewards for being highly productive. And there are many, you know, a sense of accomplishment. I get a kick out of cleaning out my woods, you know, even something as simple as that. You know, it's just a sense of an accomplishment. I cleaned out my woods or whatever. Uh, 
Psychologically, there's a high, you know, money, success, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. But as we age, that gets a little bit harder to do. Whatever, yeah, whatever your hand do, do it with your might. I just lack the energy to do it. <laughs> Our ability to be productive starts to wane. Yeah. <laughs> Sandy says amen to that. Um, I can probably, at, this, at my age now, give you a list of things I cannot do anymore or don't want to do, like cleaning out my gutters. You know, I, I, I did that recently, but I thought, what in the world? am I doing up here? Uh, there's certain scaffolding, you know, that I get, I just don't trust myself like I used to. And um, so if our ability to be needed depends on how productive we are, well, just visit an old folks home and see where that leads your mind for a moment. Now, I want to make a transition into a song, a very beautiful song, um, Because I, I think we have to go beyond, you know, all the world's needs, our jobs, our marriage, our church, each other, it's not enough. Not enough. There was a song by Anne Murray entitled, You Needed Me. Now, she didn't write the lyrics, but I, I don't know who wrote the lyrics, but the lyrics are very powerful. It says this, I cried a tear, you wiped it dry. I was confused, you cleared my mind. I sold my soul, you brought it back for me. And held me up and gave me dignity. Somehow, you needed me. You gave me strength to stand alone again. To face the world out on my own again. You put me high upon a pedestal. So high that I could see, almost see eternity you needed me. You needed me. You held my hand when it was cold. When I was lost, you took me home. You gave me hope when I was at the end and turned my lies back into truth again. You even called me friend. And again, you gave me strength to stand alone again, to face the world out on my own again. You put me high upon a pedestal, so high that I could almost see eternity. You needed me. You needed me. I want to ask you a question. And hear me out and let me explain it. Because when I, when I look, read this, the words of this song, oh sure, you can, you can look at it and say, oh, it's about love and relationship and romance and husband and wife and all that. But, but there's a transition that goes beyond that. Because it says, I sold my soul, you brought it back for me. You gave me hope when I was at the end and turned my lies back into truth again. You even called me friend. Who was it that was called a friend in the Bible? Abraham was a friend of God. So there's a transition here that goes beyond just a physical into a, a greater spiritual connection with a relationship with God here. At least I think so. So the question I want to ask is, does God need you? Does God need you? You know, need is not a one-way street. 
We need God, but, he, but God doesn't need us. <laughs> um, imagine a husband saying to his wife, wife, you need me, but I don't need you. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't sound too good, does it? I mean, it, it, it's a relationship. I mean, what is a relationship? Uh, does not a relationship consist of, of, of people that, that need each other? Imagine parents saying to their children, you know, child, you need me, but I don't need you. Imagine a business saying to the workers, we don't need you. <laughs> and yet, the workers are the very ones that produce and, and get, you know, the results at the end of the day. And as I, I looked at this and I thought about my own sermon, does God need me? Does God need you? It's all, a part of me said, man, that's a blasphemous statement to say that God would need us. Part of me that doesn't even like to suggest that God would, would, would need us. Because I, I'm familiar with the Bible. You know, God says through the psalmist, look, if I was hungry, I wouldn't call you. But And I looked at little, I, I type in on Google, you know, Dr. Google or whatever. But you can find some amazing stuff out there. I said, I said does God need us? And it took me to a lot of religious forums and... and I, I was a little bit disturbed by, by some of the comments by religious people as though, well, no, God, God doesn't need anything. God doesn't need us, you know. And, and it, it quoted this verse, if I was hungry, I wouldn't call you. And, and it, it, it quoted, uh, you know, Jesus, uh, where he said he would raise up rocks. You know, we're no better than a pile of gravel out here in the driveway. You know, it's just, I say, if, and, and, and however... David thought about this question. God, how could you need me? And here it is, Psalms 8 and verse 3. Psalms 8 and verse 3. I mean, I think he was thinking about this very question that I'm trying to present here today. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visited him. The implication at this point is that everything just previously listed was for mankind. Heavens, moon, stars, all of creation, everything that you see. You look up at the starry night at, at, you know, and all the stars and the heavens and the moon. and, then, and, the, and it, Okay, that was created for mankind, for us. For you have made him little, a little lower than the angels, and that is temporary, by the way, as Greg pointed out. Temporarily, we're made lower than the angels, and has crowned him with glory and honor. You've, you've made him to have dominion over the works of your hand. You have put all th things under his feet, all sheep, all oxen, yea, all beasts of the field, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the path of the seas. O oh Lord, our God, how excellent! Is thy name in all the earth? You know, the poet James Weldon Johnson. Maybe you've read the book, The Lonely God, from Ron Dart. But the poet, he said this, And God stepped out on space and looked around him and said, I'm lonely. I will make me a world. Powerful concept. Powerful concept. And the poet imagines a motive 
for the act of creation. In other words, we all know that God created all things. But what, what's the motive for that? What's the reason God did this? And there was, then there was a religious song, praise and worship song, that I remember from 10 years ago. And I don't know the name of it, but I do remember this line. Could it be, speaking of Christ, that you would rather die than to ever live without us? And I thought, wow, man, that's powerful. Could it be that you would rather die than to ever live without us? This kind of love had to, it had to be a motive behind all that. This, this kind of great love, this kind of great sacrifice. And I think 1 John 3 and verse 1 sort of reveals it. It says, 1 John 3 and verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew not him. Sons, that we should be called sons and daughters of God. You know, I think about, I mentioned the marriage covenant. Physical marriage, how that we need one another. But you know, there's a marriage covenant that's coming, well, that's in process right now with God. Revelation 19 and verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife has made herself ready. That's speaking of you and me. And to her it was granted that we should be arrayed in fine linen, linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he said to me, Right blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be a marriage. And he said unto, unto me, These are the true sayings of God. I mean, imagine God saying when his time comes, what are you people doing here? I don't need you. <laughs> I mean, what, what, what is marriage? I mean, uh, where both people, husband and wife, meet each other's needs. Now, the reason I bring this up, and the reason it was disturbing to me that I got on some of those forums, and I kept not all religious people said this. Don't, don't, you know, not all religious people do any one thing, but uh, they didn't all say this, but it, it was sort of a, well, no, God doesn't need us. He just, he stands, you know, he doesn't, doesn't need anything, doesn't need us. And I got to thinking, well, where, I wonder why that concept exists. And there is a view by mainstream Christianity that man is just a vain experience, experiment. And when you understand how this vain experiment works, you will understand why so many Christians maybe said, no, God doesn't need us. Let me illustrate. The largemouth bass lays millions of eggs. Now get this. Many, all right, okay, it lays millions of eggs. Okay. Many of her eggs will be eaten by the male that fertilized them. That is so weird. <laughs> Most of her eggs will be eaten by brim and other small fish. Of those that do hatch, most of them will be eaten by minnows and brim. As they mature to minnow size, most of them will be eaten by adult bass. Okay. Only a tiny fraction of the eggs laid 
will become mature bass. She has to lay millions of eggs to get only a few mature fish. Now there's an illusion that this is sort of how God works. You know, we suffer. We go through pain, hardship. We create. And for what? Is life no more than just a vain experience? In other words, in order to get sons into his kingdom, he has to put billions of us on this earth and allow for wastage. Actually, 80% wastage. If you look at what, I mean, if you consider, if you do a study on Christian population worldwide and do a study on how many people are on planet earth, you know, it's a small, small percentage that actually take the name of, of Christian. The rest, 80%, is wasted according to mainstream. That God would waste 80% of humans' race to get a few sons into his kingdom. And worse than that, that wastage, according to mainstream, you know what, not only are they, they wasted, guess what happens to them? They burn in hell for all of eternity. For being nothing more than a vain experiment that, you know, now, I mean, think about this. What does this say about God? It says we need God, but God doesn't need us. That's what it says. Now, luckily, we know better. We know better in the church of God. Jesus spoke of two resurrections. Resurrection to life, resurrection to damnation. And if you read between the lines, there's a resurrection somewhere in between. The valley of dry, Paul talked about it, you know, all Israel shall be saved, the valley of dry bones, which is a physical flesh and blood resurrection. It's not, you know, it's not the first resurrection. Flesh and blood cannot, you know, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is a physical resurrection. And he concludes, you know, by saying, you know, all Israel shall be saved. What Paul in the, uh, I forget where it's at, but what shall the receiving, talking about the people that had, that, that had rejected God, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? What is life from the dead? It's a resurrection back physically to a physical resurrection. So that, that resurrection in between, we understand that God has a great plan and that it's not 80% wastage. It's not. And they're not going to burn for all eternity in a lake of fire. It's, you know, that is beautiful news. It's good news. It's great news. Now, Genesis 1 and verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and all over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female. Now, if you ask at this point, what is God doing? The answer, he's creating after his own kind. What is God doing? He's creating after his own kind. Now, it's hard to create after your own kind if you, if you don't have any children. But this is something that God is in the process of doing right now. God's spirit unites with your spirit and a new creature in Christ starts to develop. God is creating children after his own kind. So when I ask the question, does God need you? 
You know, if you, if you don't, and I don't think we fit into this category, but if you don't understand his vision, if you don't understand his purpose, if you don't understand why this great sacrifice, if you don't understand his purpose for creating mankind, if you don't understand his vision, his dream that he has, if you don't understand what the family of God is and will be, you might also make the fatal mistake of saying, nah, God doesn't need us. But if you understand what God is doing, I'll conclude with Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. And that's a word we don't like. <laughs> no one likes that. So my point is this. God has a need. And that need is to bring many sons into glory. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast. Watch the weekly program. Worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service. And be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.